$100 plus mileage. This is the podcast about New Hampshire bills that might not make the headlines, but could still have an impact on you. Each year, the legislature considers about a thousand bills, and that's a lot for the average citizen to parse. Our job is to highlight some of the lesser known issues, unpack those pros and cons, and tell you how to make your voice heard. I'm Anna Brown, Director of Research and Analysis for Citizens Count. And I'm Mike Dunbar, Content Editor for Citizens Count. And today we'll be talking about the minimum wage, or actually the standard minimum wage that everyone else is talking about is not really what we're talking about. We're talking about the tipped minimum wage for tipped employees. Have you ever worked as a tipped employee, Anna? I have not. My high school job was shelving books in a library, and I think it'd be pretty funny if that involved people tipping me, like, you know, like handing me a book (laughs) with like a a, a few dollar bills slipped between the pages, but no. Nice work. (laughs) Your mastery of the Dewey Decimal System is uh, above. I can par. <laughs> I can recite the alphabet backwards on command. By the way, so that's a good skill I've got to it have. Worked out. <laughs> um, well, as you may know, uh, New Hampshire approaches the minimum wage for tipped employees in a rather unique way. Um, our regular minimum wage for non-tipped employees mirrors whatever the federal minimum wage is automatically. So since the federal government currently has it at $7.25 an hour, that's what our minimum wage is too. And it's just, if they raise it, it'll go up. So in the Granite State, there's a separate tipped minimum wage for those who earn more than $30 a month in tips. And that's currently slated as 45% of the non-tipped minimum wage. So if you do the math on that, it comes out to $3.27 per hour, which you're thinking, that's crazy. How does anybody work for that, right? But of course, in practice, waiters and waitresses usually earn a lot more than the standard minimum wage when you take their tips into consideration. So that's why they're allowed to make so much less for an actual wage. Um, tipped employees also have the right to demand that their employer make up the difference if the actual money they made on the job uh, at the end of the pay period doesn't add up to the standard minimum wage of seven twenty-five dollars an hour. Okay, so long story short, tipped employees have a lower wage and the federal government's okay with that. Mm-hmm. But the way New Hampshire's law is set up, if the federal government raises the regular wage, which they have been talking about doing, the raise the raise would sort of trickle down to tipped employees in New Hampshire since it's a percentage of whatever that regular wage is, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but there's a bill that is being considered right now in New Hampshire that would change that, and that's what we're going to discuss today. That's SB one three seven. All right, Mike, tell us about it. All right. So, SB one three seven would freeze the current tipped uh, minimum wage where it is right now, if and only if the federal government raises the minimum wage. So rather than remaining at 45% of whatever the federal minimum wage is, which would effectively give tipped workers an automatic raise, the tipped minimum wage in New Hampshire would be pegged at 3.27 per hour. So in other words, this legislation would freeze tipped workers minimum wage where it is right now even if the federal government raises that standard minimum wage. Hmm. Okay. So does this apply to anyone who makes tips at their job? I'm thinking also like people who like the woman who cuts my hair or I don't know, like sometimes at like car washes, you tip people. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's actually a list of what applies for this. So currently the tip minimum wage applies to employees of a restaurant, hotel, motel, inn or cabin or ballroom. 
Don't know um, what a ballroom is, but sounds cool. Continue. I, I I can only think of like the Hampton Casino. That's like the all, only actual ballroom I'm aware of, but maybe there's huh. more. I'm sure there's more. Anyway. Um, this bill adds tipped employees of cigar bars to the list, uh, and it would also add secondary game operators, but it has a little bit different rules for them. It sets their tipped minimum wage higher at seven twenty five an hour. That's like charitable gaming, right? Right, exactly. Okay, so... All right. Now I guess I should ask, does the federal, we touched on this, but does the federal government have a minimum wage for tipped employees? Yes, they do. But our state tipped minimum wage is actually a little higher. Very generous, New Hampshire. Uh, <laughs> federal law only requires a tip minimum wage of $213. Uh, that rate was set wow. back in the 90s. Um, most recent minimum wage increases were uh, 2007 2008 and 2009, but that didn't change the minimum wage uh, for those tipped employees. Um, however, recent proposals uh, to raise the federal minimum wage have included increasing this tipped minimum wage or even matching it to the regular minimum wage, but the bills have stalled in the Senate. So if Congress does vote to raise the minimum wage, they may choose to leave the tip minimum wage uh, untouched or make a smaller increase. I think it's really interesting. There's all this talk about the minimum wage, and I do hear tipped workers come up, but until you and I started looking into this, I had no idea that the federal government was actually at $2, because, mm. well, just above $2, $2.13. Like, when you think about that, like, that's basically, like, why even... Why even pay them? Like, why right, even set yeah. it? It's kind of funny. Like, it's it's almost like it doesn't even exist. It's so low. But all right. So going back to the New Hampshire bill, SB 137, there was a public hearing on this in March. What are the arguments for this bill to basically freeze New Hampshire's tipped minimum wage? Sure. Well, at the public hearing, probably unsurprisingly, there was a lot of support from New Hampshire's hospitality industry. Uh, representatives of the New Hampshire Lodging and Restaurant Association, the Cigar Association of New Hampshire, which I didn't know existed, but that's kind of cool, uh, the New Hampshire Charitable Gaming Operators Association all showed up in favor, along with the bill's sponsor, uh, Senator Jeb Bradley. So proponents were arguing that decoupling the tipped minimum wage from the federal minimum wage make sure that the New Hampshire legislature stays in control of this issue and not the federal government. So, you know, we don't want Congress deciding this issue for us. We want to be able to control it ourselves. Um, since New Hampshire's economy relies so heavily on the hospitality industry, uh, you know, they're arguing it's crucial to protect business owners from what could be a pretty devastating hit to their bottom line. So for one example that was given, if the federal government raised the minimum wage to $15 per hour, which is one of the numbers that's been thrown around on the national level, um, the New Hampshire tipped wage would more than double automatically. So if you're a business owner, you're probably like, oh my gosh, I don't want that being decided by someone in Washington. Right. You know, and it's interesting too, that argument that, you know, tipped workers are already making above minimum wage. I, I poked in around a little bit with that because obviously there's going to be variation from employer to employer and employee to employee. But according to New Hampshire Employment Security, the average wage for waiters and waitresses in 2019 was $13.30. So that's like actually pretty close to this, you know, $15 per hour regular mm -hmm. minimum wage proposal, you know. Um, and let's be real. I mean, we've, I feel we have to because it's like every 
topic ever these days. We have to bring up the impact of the coronavirus. Um, we all know that restaurants are struggling. Restaurants are struggling and it's it's the waiters and waitresses and, or servers, I believe, would be the more appropriate term these days. Um, and it's just probably bartenders, people in the back. You know, it's just these businesses are closing down in some cases. So I'm sure that there are arguments about, OK, you know, if, if you raise the tipped minimum wage, it could backfire because then employers will just cut their staff because they don't even need as many staff these days because they have less, you know, customers coming in. So but all right. There's always there's an other side to the issue. I feel like we always do that. We're, we're two sides of the coin here at Citizens Count. So I'm sure there were people who showed up to testify against this bill, right? Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. Only one person got up to speak um, against the bill at that March 19 hearing, and uh, she was a representative of the Granite State Organizing Project. And she pointed out that this bill could worsen economic inequality in New Hampshire and particularly impact women who make up the majority of the tipped wage workforce in this state. Also, it stands to reason that if tipped workers make more money, they'll have more disposable income to reinvest in their own communities. Um, It was also argued that New Hampshire tipped minimum wage is lower than any of its neighbors. So in Massachusetts, the tipped minimum wage is 515 per hour. In Maine, it's 608 per hour, and in Vermont, it's 585, but workers have to regularly receive more than $120 in tips. I mean, I think it's really, there's more to unpack there when you talk about the fact that most of these tipped workers are women. You know, I've, I've heard stories about women being told by their supervisors to wear more makeup or shorter skirts if they want better tips. Um, and I read a really interesting article in time that was all covered the history of tipping. And there's also racial justice elements to this. The concept of tipping really gained popularity and traction in the United States shortly after the Civil War, when former slaves were working as porters, barbers, servers, and so on. And the employers actually weren't paying them wages. These people were only getting paid through tips. It's, it's, you know, it's one of those parts of history where you just feel kind of gross about it, you know, because it's, it's, that's like basically another form of slavery. So there's, yeah, there's some dark history. There's definitely some dark history to the tipped minimum wage. And I think that, you know, if you can definitely make the argument that, um, this would, this is a, a wage gap issue. It's a, uh, equality issue, racial justice issue. You know, there's there's a lot going on. Even though, like I said, I feel like all the minimum wage arguments I hear don't talk as much about the tipped wage. So yeah, and so I I'll, guess, I'll uh, add to that too. Actually, yeah. I'm just thinking about this, but I was reading a story about um, a restaurant owner, I believe in New Hampshire, who had like stacked paychecks for uh, servers who never even bothered to pick up their actual paycheck because it was so little money. It, they were really working for the tips. That they they oh, never even like came and claimed their actual payment from the restaurant. So it it you know oh. as as inflation increases and all this stuff, we're getting closer to that probably uh, every year. But uh, yeah, I mean, right. did, so were you surprised that only one person spoke against the bill? You know, yes and no. Um, I'm not at all surprised that the obviously that the hospitality industry had representatives there uh, to speak at the hearing. This could have a big impact on restaurants and similar businesses. So, you know, of course, they wanted to make their argument. Um, I think there were probably, uh, there are plenty of workers who would like to see their minimum wage um, go up if the federal government were to pass a bill doing so. 
but it's possible that many of them just didn't know about the bill, didn't know about the public hearing, were too busy, you know, actually working to show up. Um, that's all speculation, obviously, but uh, I always like to see when ordinary people show up at these hearings rather than only representatives of, of larger organizations. And, you know, that's what we're here yeah, to do. Yeah, I mean, so. that's what we're all about. The great segue, <laughs> Citizens <laughs> Count, making it easier for people Shameless to get plug. involved. Yeah, a shameless club plug, no matter where you stand on this bill, whether you're for it or against it, you can get up in front of legislators and tell them how it would impact you. So there's a great opportunity for that coming up because there's going to be another remote public hearing for SB 137. And this is May 5th at 1 p.m. Maybe you can do it on your lunch break. And it will be before the House Labor, Industrial, and Re Rehabilitative Services Committee. So there's a tutorial on our website. If you go to our bills page, there's a tutorial how to sign up to testify. You can sign up through the general court website, gencourt.state.newhampshire.us. All right, Mike, it's time for Only in New Hampshire. What gr zany Granite State fact do you have for me today? All right, this was kind of interesting. So... Uh, this is about New Hampshire's Abbott Thayer. So Thayer was a naturalist and an artist who helped found the Dublin Arts Colony in the 19th century and wrote a book uh, examining the abilities of animals to conceal themselves in their native habitats. Uh, his concepts became a lot more relevant when the world erupted into war in 1914. Early in the conflict, uh, the French military found Thayer's work and instituted programs for disguising facilities and equipment based on his work. And soon a U.S. camouflage unit was established for the war effort, um, also commanded by his son and uh, fellow New Hampshire artist uh, St. Gauden. So kind of interesting that the beginnings of camouflage came from this uh, New Hampshire guy, Abbott Thayer. So New Hampshire, New Hampshire can take credit for like, I'm just going to say it. We're just going to take credit for all of military uniforms throughout history that are camouflage. Boom. That's right. Granite State. I won't. You're welcome. Not, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> also, can I just say, I love that it was like, I mean, it makes sense that it was inspired by animals, but I never knew that that actual fact. Um, because when you think about it, you don't really look like an animal when you're in camouflage. You actually look like a tree. True. But anyway. Well, so does the all animal, right. though. That's the whole so does point, the right? I guess I'm probably really <laughs> overthinking this. I'm probably really, I mean, it would have been cool if they were like, you know, those butterflies that look like they have eyes on them. It would have been cool if their inspiration instead was just to like, makes our soldiers look like they're covered in eyeballs. But I understand that wouldn't really, that wouldn't really work. So, you know, <laughs> dreams, dreams. And let, you know, we'll just wrap it up here before I get on even stranger mental experiments. You can find more information and episodes at citizenscount.org. We'd also like to thank Franklin Pierce University for producing and the Granite State News Collaborative for hosting our podcast. Our theme music is composed by my co-host, Mike Dunbar. Lastly, we thank you for giving us a listen and thinking about how you can be a part of what makes New Hampshire by the people, for the people. 